You know, when I was a, a little boy attending Sunday school, there were two Bible stories that were my favorite. One of them was David and Goliath, and the other one was Jonah and the whale. And it's interesting how these stories that you learn when you are a child have a way of sticking with you. And I think that that's what the scriptures mean in Isaiah 55 when God said, my word shall not return to me void. But you know what I've discovered? Because we have such fond memories of those stories that we learned when we were children, we tend to categorize them simply as children's stories. And because of that, we don't really dig in and discover that every story that is found within the written word has application for your and my adult condition. It's not just for kids, but it's for adults. And such is the story of Jonah. That's why I had Emma apply the PG-13 label to the graphic of our, of our uh, slides here because this isn't a kid's story. The truth is that most people uh, think of this little Old Testament book as nothing more than a big fish story. And, but you have to understand the fish is such a small part of these four chapters of this entire message found in Jonah. Actually, only three of the 48 verses uh, from the entire book talk about this whale of a fish. G. Campbell Morgan correctly said, men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. Now to be sure, the great fish in this story is a fascinating part of the book, no doubt about it. But it is not the central theme in the life of one of Israel's prophets. The book of Jonah is truly a story of God's great love for the entire world. It's about God's plan to reach all people, no matter what condition they are in, as well as about one man's hesitance to be a part of God's plan. So for the next four weeks, we are going to do our own in-depth study from the book of Jonah, one chapter at a time. And at the start, to start out, the first thing I want you to understand that this book is not some fable or allegory. Jonah was a real person who is first introduced to us in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25. During the days of King Jeroboam II, where it says this, he, meaning Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. And by the way, Gath-Hefer was located about four miles north of, of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And speaking of Jesus, the most impressive mention of Jonah in the scriptures is from Jesus himself, proving that Jonah in fact was a real life human being, an actual person. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So this real man, this prophet of God, 
named Jonah lived during the time in which Israel was divided into two kingdoms, north and south. But it was before any of the invasions and deportations that would eventually affect both of those kingdoms. And please note, Jonah's king, Jeroboam II, was an idolatrous and an immoral king who brought nothing but evil upon the land. And yet God in his mercy told Jonah to prophesy to the nation that the territorial boundaries of Israel were going to be expanded. God was going to give territory back that had been taken from them generations earlier by the Syrians. And God did exactly what he had Jonah tell the people he would do. So Jonah had preached and he had prophesied an expansion that did indeed happen. And because of this, Jonah had great public success in the economic and military glory days of the Northern Kingdom. He was a popular man, he was a popular prophet. Everyone liked to hear him preach. If he lived a day, Jonah would probably be on Christian television. He'd, he'd probably be considered the Billy Graham of his day. So let's begin in Jonah chapter one. Go ahead and turn there to your Bibles. We'll have it up on the screen behind me. You can follow along if you don't have your Bible. We're gonna read the first 16 verses of chapter one. Today I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And you can follow along, as I said, it'll be on the screen behind me. Jonah 1, 1 through 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lower parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then these men, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? for the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. There are so many lessons that we can learn here from Jonah's experience, and we're gonna talk about those lessons today, and we're gonna begin with the first one, and it is this. God speaks and invites us to join him in his work. We see this right in verse one, when it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So God calls out to Jonah and he gives him a specific message for a specific group of people. Now we do not know what method God used in order to speak to Jonah, but he did. For Moses, he used a burning bush. For Elijah, it came in a gentle whisper. For Obadiah and for others, it came through a vision. So we don't know how God spoke to Jonah precisely, but we do know that he did. And this is just like God, because he shows us throughout the scriptures how he is always speaking to people. And he shows us throughout even modern day society how he speaks to people like you and me. He is always guiding us throughout life in ways that, that, that allow us to know and to understand his will. Isaiah 58, 11 says, the Lord will guide you continually. Psalm 32, eight, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. In Isaiah 30, 21, it says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. And let me just say this morning that, that I have seen these scriptures fulfilled in my own personal life, particularly when God made it clear to me for his calling on my life to full-time ministry and also in who he wanted me to marry and also when he called us to move from Arizona to Red Bluff, California. And even today when I face difficulty in counseling sessions and I don't know what to say, when I ask him, he gives me the words and he gives me the wisdom that I need. And I'm not even sure that I can explain to you how it is that God speaks to me, but he does. For me, it's never been an audible voice. I've had people say, I heard God as clear as or I heard a voice. That's never happened to me. But, you know, in fact, I think it's better than that because I hear God speak to me in my innermost being. This means he communicates his intents to me. Even in the, in the midst of, of turmoil, when I might not be able to even hear an audible voice. What I'm saying is since I am a Christian, God has a direct line to my heart. And truthfully, I yearn to hear his gentle voice because I cannot imagine having to always guess at what I should do and where I should go and what I should say. I don't think I could bear the loneliness of thinking that I could only talk to myself, because I'd be a pretty lame conversation. 
If you are a Christian who has learned to rely on God's spoken guidance and companionship, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. Truly, there is nothing more fulfilling in the life of a believer than to hear God's voice, than to know God's direction and to follow that direction because you will never go wrong when you do. But here's another lesson that we learn from Jonah's story. When God speaks, sometimes he tells us things we don't wanna hear. Ever been there? God may ask you to do something that you, want, you won't wanna do. And that's exactly what happened here with Jonah. God told him to go to the people of Nineveh and declare judgment on them because of their wickedness. In fact, the Living Bible paraphrases the last part of verse 12 by saying that the wickedness of Nineveh was such that it smelled to high heaven. And that's not a bad translation because the Assyrian Empire was well known throughout all of the ancient world for their wickedness and for their cruelty. One of their kings, Asher Banipal, was accustomed to tearing off the lips and the hands of his victims. Another Assyrian ruler, Tiglath Pileser, flayed his victims alive and he made great piles of their skulls. The soldiers of the Assyrian army had no qualms doling out a scorched earth military policy of anything that had blood within it and any structure that stood. And typically after destroying an enemy's fields and an enemy's cities, they either slaughtered or conquered the people or they hammered iron rods through their noses and their lower lips and led them away by chain as slaves. I've tried, while I was preparing that this week, I've tried to manage dear sister Helen Manus, my Sunday school teacher when I was a child, adding these grim details when she told us the story of Jonah and the whale. I think if she had, it wouldn't be any child's favorite Bible story. <laughs> In fact, she might have scarred our innocent imaginations for life had she told us those things. Here's some additional background that should help you to better understand Jonah's reaction to what God was asking of him. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied earlier that the Assyrians would successfully invade Israel. In Isaiah 7, 17, he says this, the Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house. Days that have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah. Now understand that Jonah was very familiar with this prophecy and also understand in Jonah's days, the Assyrians were already making pre-invasion attacks into the Northern kingdom of Israel. They were penetrating into a nation that they one day had hoped to conquer. They would sometimes make surprise attacks on little towns and villages, and they would take the women captive, and they would brutally slay the men, and get this, the children. And because Jonah lived in, northern, in a northern town, 
It is very possible that Jonah had witnessed some of these attacks. He may have seen his own father and mother brutally slain before his eyes, or he might have even seen his sisters being raped by the Assyrian troops. We don't know this for sure, but I say it so that you can comprehend Jonah's deep hatred for the Assyrians. He understandably wanted nothing to do with helping these brutally wicked, demented people. He knew that if he preached to the Assyrians in their capital city of Nineveh, the sermon that God had given him, that there was a real chance that these people would repent. And if they repented, Jonah knew that a compassionate God would forgive them. In fact, listen to what Jonah said in Jonah 4.2, after all this had come to pass. These are his words. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. In his hatred for the Assyrian people, Jonah did not want that to happen. Just like you and me, so often when we are hurt, so often when we are wronged by somebody else, we don't want to forgive, do we? Instead, we want our oppressors to be punished for what they've done. We want them to hurt at least as much as they hurt us. Isn't that right? And here we find an adult truth that every one of us has to deal with. Jonah's story, it's a prime example of how hard it is to follow the biblical command to love your enemies. And if we are to have any impact upon those who are lost and who live with us in this community, in this fallen world, who do not yet know Jesus, we must learn this critical lesson. We must love as God has loved. Joel, could you turn the upper lights on for me over top of my podium? I'd appreciate it. Confession time. I know you're not a Catholic priest, but I'm gonna to confess to you. <laughs> there is a comedian on television named Bill Maher who I can hardly stomach. You may know who he is. I hope you don't. <laughs> I've heard him say some of the most ridiculous and hurtful things about people of faith. And I confess to you, whenever I see him on the screen, I get angry. Because he is so smug. And he is so arrogant in whatever he says. He's so certain in his position that he believes that anyone who looks at life differently than he does is just a complete and utter moron. This is how this guy comes across. And what is worse is he fills his little TV audience with people who love him, who adore him and worship him, and they clap and they laugh at every little thing he says, and he thinks he's so special. <laughs> Being honest, man. And one day I got so angry with this guy, I'm not proud of this, I screamed at the TV screen. I said, enjoy your money and fame now, Bill Maher, because one day you're going to rot in hell. Yes. Bro, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm not trying to get you to cheer me on. 
That was the wrong response, okay? I, I'm getting there. Give me some time, okay? Don't, don't get ahead of my story. Yes, I confess to you that that's what I said. But what you can't realize from my words is what I was feeling when I said those words. Complete hatred. Complete disregard for a man who Jesus loves as much as he loves me. And here I am damning him to hell. Now the hell part is a reality. And that's a reality if Bill Maher dies without Jesus. But I should never gloat and you should never gloat in that reality. It should sadden us. It should sadden me. And I thought a lot about my outburst. This happened years ago. And I've thought a lot about it. And I've come to realize that it says more about me than it says about Bill Maher. And I've consciously, consciously decided to change my approach. First of all, I try to avoid him altogether. But when I do see him, or when I do hear him on a clip on, on social media, or even if I'm flipping through the channels, and he says something that grieves me, instead of getting mad, what I do, I silently pray a short prayer in my heart. And I say, God, change my heart towards this man and show him the wrong of his ways. It's a much better way to respond to Bill Maher than to damn him to hell. What I'm trying to say this morning, I hope you'll come back next week. I'm not an evil person. I'm really not. I'm just being honest with you. And I hope you appreciate honesty because if you think I got my life together completely, you know, I'm a human being, okay? I'm no different than you. What I'm trying to say is simple. We've got to quit yearning for the punishment of our enemies. And often our enemies are people who just don't view Christ like we do. Instead, we need to pray for their repentance and the restoration that comes from their repentance. Ezekiel 33.1, listen to what God says. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. That's the central theme of the gospel message of Jesus Christ, ladies and gentlemen. That's it in a nutshell. God's grace extends not just to the undeserving, but to those who in fact deserve just the opposite. And this book of Jonah can also teach us an important lesson about trusting God's perspective on all people, no matter how depraved they may seem. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Here the apostle Paul reminds us that once a person embraces God's grace, then all believers should regard no one from a human perspective, from a human point of view. This means that once we become Christians, we must look at people not from our own perspectives of hostility, we can no longer evaluate them based upon our own sensitivities. We have got to learn to view all people the way God does. And as hard as that is, that is with a heart of love. 
We must trust God to see more than we see because he is able to look into the heart of an individual when we cannot. And that's exactly how he knew that the people of Nineveh were ripe for repentance because God looked deep into their hearts. He saw that if the Assyrians were to hear from God at this moment in time, that they would respond. And this is why he sent Jonah to these wicked people in the first place. But Jonah didn't want to have any part of it. This, this well thought of man of God, this prophet that was a hero of prophets, this Billy Graham image guy wanted nothing to do with it. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse said this, God calling Jonah to go to the Ninevites was like asking a Jew from New York to go to Hitler after the Holocaust and tell him that God loved him and that everything would be forgiven if they would repent. Jonah couldn't stand the thought of these people being forgiven and coming into a relationship with his heavenly father. So he reacted with the heart of a jealous, unforgiving son, and he disobeyed. Now, I think that if you and I were honest with ourselves this morning, we'd have to admit that we are often just like Jonah. We defy God often when he guides us and he directs us, and he sometimes directs us in a place that we don't wanna go or to do something that we don't wanna do. And this is why we need to study this text because we can learn a great deal about the dangers of disobedience right from Jonah's experience. And this leads me to another lesson that we can learn from this book. When we disobey and we run from God, the adversary will always provide a means of transportation. Always will. Whatever you need to effectively run away from God, Satan will have readily available for you. God told Jonah to go east to Nineveh, and he went in just the opposite direction. He went west. He headed for the port of Joppa, and when he got there, there just happened to be a boat heading in the, wrong, the right direction that Jonah wanted to go, the wrong direction from where God wanted him to go. In fact, this boat was bound for the Spanish fishing village called Tarshish. By the way, try saying that about three times. It's very hard. It was the westernmost city known in the world at that time. And for him to actually reach there would require a journey of a year and a half. So what the scriptures don't really tell you is that he was going. He wasn't just running from God, but he was running a long, long way, a year and a half on a ship to get away from God's call. It was literally as far as Jonah could have gone in a direction away from Nineveh. Now, do you think that it was just a coincidence that there happened to be a boat heading in that direction at that exact time? I don't, because I believe Satan makes it easy for us to disobey God. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus warns us of this when he said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. If you want to disobey God, if you wanna do things that are against his will, will, you can count on plenty of demonic assistance. You just can. But be forewarned. 
Satan will never do anything to help you to get anywhere but closer to pain and heartbreak. He'll paint a rosy picture for you. You think you're off the hook. You think you skate away and nothing will happen. That's not what happens. Almost as soon as they were out of the harbor, verse four says this, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Now, this is no typical storm here. This is what you would call a perfect storm. In fact, it says that the storm was so bad that they thought the ship itself was gonna start breaking up. So the sailors on this, this, this ship were, they, they, they claimed they were what they called Phoenicians, which were known in that time of some of history's greatest sailors. They were well acquainted with the storms of the sea. And they knew that this was not a natural storm that they were dealing with because they had never experienced anything like it before. They knew that this storm had to be supernatural in its origin. So they cried out to their many pagan gods for help. They began to throw cargo into the sea in order to lighten the ship up. And while all this is going on, where's Jonah? The mighty man of God is, is sound asleep down in the, in the hold of the ship. How could he be sleeping at a time like this? Well, I think the answer to that question provides us with another lesson. When we run away and disobey God, it will wear you out. It will wear you out. This is because we were designed to walk into a relation, in a relationship with God, and when we disobey him, we break relationship. You see, when we are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are in obedience to God, we have access to his strength. But when we disobey him, when we break fellowship with him, we are reduced to trudging throughout this sinful world within our own power. And you and I cannot make headway against the storms of life in our own strength, we just can't. Sin slows us down by, by draining our strength. It's like trying to swim with a stone tied around your neck. In Psalm 32, verse three through four, David says this. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. When we, he, when we disobey God, or when he disobeyed God, his bones wasted away, his strength was zapped in, in the heat of the summer. This is exactly why Jonah was able to lay down in that ship and fall asleep. This prophet of God, who's, who was used to relying upon God's power and strength, ha, had lived the past few days on his own. He was kind of like an astronaut who, who returns back to Earth's gravity after being up in space and, and the weightlessness of space, and he quickly grew exhausted. And then here's a fourth lesson that we need to know as a Christian, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot live in disobedience and it not show. Numbers 32, 23 warns, and be sure that your sins will find you out. This is what happened to Jonah. As soon as he paid his fare, he didn't talk to anyone. He didn't introduce himself to anyone. He headed to the ship's hold and he fell asleep. But when the storm bro broke out, 
The captain comes to him and he encourages them, him to join in praying to their individual gods for help dealing with this storm. Can you see the irony of this moment? Here we have a heathen captain having to beg one of Israel's greatest prophets to pray. Well, they cast lots to see whose fault this was, and the lot just happened to fall on Jonah. Of course, again, this was no coincidence. God was at work here. I read somewhere that a, that a coincidence is a miracle for which God chooses to remain anonymous. And this is one of those instances. And that's what happened. God caused Jonah to get the short straw. And when he did, then the entire spotlight of the moment came down on him. These sailors, they pestered him with questions like, uh, who are you? What have you done to cause this storm? And Jonah had to fess up and he had to tell them his story. Verse nine, it says, so he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You know, we think that we can sin and nobody's gonna know, but that's not true. God always knows. And just because he's not there physically in front of us to see, he is there. He sees, he knows all things. Listen to Job 24, 14 through 16. When the daylight is gone, the murderers rise up and kill the poor and needy. In the night, he steals forth like a thief. The adulterer watches for dusk. He thinks no one will see me. And he keeps his face concealed. In the dark, men break into houses, which they mark for themselves in the daytime. God may let disobedient people rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are always on their ways. God always sees what we do. And sometime, as Jonah discovered, he allows us to see the folly of our own disobedience at that moment. He actually can give us a moment of clarity where we see what we are doing and it rattles us. God does this because often the shame of being found out is what drives us ultimately to repentance. I think this is why Jesus said in Luke 12, three, therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the rooftops. Well, then there's one final lesson I want us to learn from Jonah's disobedience this morning. When we disobey God, we aren't the only ones who suffer. We're not. Our sin doesn't just hurt us. Our sin hurts other people as well. Think about it. Those sailors, they suffered because of Jonah. Those merchants whose cargo was thrown over the ship suffered because of Jonah. We do not sin in seclusion, ladies and gentlemen, we don't. Like secondhand smoke, our disobedience wounds people around us. When we defy God's law, we establish a, a downward spiral, like a whirlpool or, or, or some kind of a funnel that seizes us and often pulls others down with us. We saw this last week as we heard some of the testimonies from Celebrate Recovery on how the sins from the parents and the relatives and the things that they did affected the children, so much so that it establishes patterns in the children that they will often follow because of what they've seen. 
What I'm trying to say is you aren't the only one who is affected by your sin. Often due to your example and my example, our sin infects our family. It infects those who are around us. In fact, one of the greatest reasons for disbelief today is the sinful lifestyles and the hypocrisy of self-proclaimed believers in Christ. It happens when we profess one thing, but we live contrary to what we profess. You've got to understand, once you have the label Christian, people are watching you. They are summing you and I up every single day. They want to see if we are walking or talking. Are we walking the walk or are we just saying a bunch of words that are really empty inside of us? And I'm not talking about in this building here. I'm talking about what happens outside of this building, at work, when we're shopping, when we're going, when we're doing, when we're vacationing, whatever it is we're doing, people are watching. Are we living up to what it is that we profess? Well, these, these sailors asked Jonah what they should do in order to stop the storm, and believe it or not, Jonah instructed them to throw him overboard. This clearly shows that he would rather drown the man would rather drown than witness to the Ninevites. But instead, these men chose to try to row back to dry land. They cared more about Jonah than he cared about them or the Assyrians, mighty man of God that he is. And when rowing didn't work, they did something that, that Jonah had still not done at this time. They prayed to God. And then for good measure, they followed Jonah's instructions that they threw him in the sea. <laughs> and immediately, the raging sea went into complete serenity. There was an instant calm. And then these pagan sailors responded to this calm by worshiping the one true God making uh, offerings of thanksgiving to him, pledging to, to live their lives of gratitude for him saving their lives. It's a very strange twist when you think about it. Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh to prophesy to the Gentiles there, but through his own choice, he tried to escape. And that put him into a situation where there were a bunch of Gentile sailors who put their faith in the Lord all because of Jonah's weak and brief and half-hearted witness that was given under great duress. And the truth is we've all been guilty of this. We've all fallen short of what God expects from us. We have all been disobedient to that voice that told us to go and to do. Disobedience is, is, uh, is a human reality. We do it all the time. We've done it, it's kind of born in us. We do it when we're children, we do it at school, we do it at work, we do it in relationships. We do it in our relationship with the Lord. But for those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, obedience should rule our daily lives. Should never be a question of us saying, no, I don't wanna do that, I'm uncomfortable with doing that. Say, yes, Lord, I will be obedient and I will do as you say. And you know, when I think of obedience, I can't help but think about Jesus, who when com com commissioned by God, did not run. 
Even though he was being sent to a planet full of people who were enemies of God the Father who sent him. He was sent to people who would despise him, who would reject him. People who would treat him so cruelly that he would become well acquainted with sorrows, the scriptures tell us. Jesus was the only one who ever has perfectly been obedient to God. Paul tells us about this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He tells us about Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, whom being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus faced the most difficult command that God has ever uttered. He knew the unimaginable pain and the separation that he would suffer if he were to obey. He even asked God if there was another way, but God's answer was no. And so Jesus was obedient. And therefore, here we are today, enjoying a relationship with our Heavenly Father only because of Jesus' obedience. Scott, will you guys come forward? Help me close down. I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet if you would. As we close this service this morning, I want to affirm the fact that here at High Point, we believe that God does still speak to people today. People like you and me. Just like he spoke to Jonah. In fact, we close most of our services every week with an opportunity to listen and to hear what it is that, that he's saying to you. Well, God has spoken to me this week and he has clearly reminded me of the importance for obedience in our Christian journey, every one of us. Even when we don't feel like it, even when we know it might be difficult, and even when we allow our personal feelings to get in God's way. God showed me this week that there are many people watching online and many people here in this building who have sidestepped God's personal direction in your life. He specifically has called you to do something, to serve in some way, to mend a broken relationship, to minister and to lead a dear friend to Christ. He's called some of you just to simply get involved in something in your Christian journey that is going to produce fruit, but you've ignored his call and you've ignored his instruction. Jonah's reason was his hatred for the people that God was calling him to win. But our reasons, well, they're as varied as we are. Our reasons are all over the map. But no matter what the reason or how strongly we feel about it, the fact remain, remains, it is nothing 
but disobedience. And just like Jonah, we may not physically get on a ship, but we mentally get on a ship and we just kind of sail away. We just float. We float along in life and then we wonder why we're not growing in our faith. We wonder why we lack a sense of victory that, that God wants us so much to have, but we lack it because we're not obedient to God. And Jonah's story today and his disobedience is a wake up for all of us. And if you stop right now and you listen, you just may hear God speaking to you. For some, he may be telling some of you to go. Just like he told Jonah to go to Nineveh. There may be someone God is commissioning you to go to in order for you to finally tell them of his great love. You may be in here and he may be calling you to full-time ministry. He may be calling you to serve in some way. He may be calling you to take on some responsibility that you have been sidestepping within the body. Perhaps there is someone who you have a hard time loving, somebody who you need to forgive. And God's been itching at you. He's been talking to you for the longest time for you to swallow your pride and to be the person that takes a step forward and tries to bring reconciliation. If any of that is true today, then I encourage you to not make the mistake that Jonah made and do not flee on a ship somewhere, but do the hard work. Do what it is that he has asked you to do. Because what you're going to find is it's going to change who you are. It will be that moment that will be a defining moment in your Christian journey. And you will simply take off from that moment. Obey God. Be obedient to what he is calling you to do. God may be whispering in your innermost being to come. He's inviting some of you to come today in repentance and faith. You know, you know God exists and you know of Jesus. You just don't know him. You've resisted. You don't want to be a Jesus freak. You don't have to be a freak and love Jesus. Can I just tell you that? You can be in a relationship with Jesus and you can affect your world. And when I say your world, I'm talking about that world that surrounds you. You can infect it with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. I wanna open this altar today to anybody who wants to be sure this morning, or if you're having doubts that you're being obedient to God. Maybe you're confused about something. Maybe you need clarity, but you've never taken the time to ask God for clarity. Instead, you just kinda of shut him out. The only way to receive that clarity is to seek the Lord. Or maybe you know what God has called you to do. You've known it for a long, long time, but you just feel like you don't have the ability to accomplish it. Well, the only one who can provide you with the kind of power you need to do the thing that he's calling you to do is God. Maybe you just haven't been tuning in at all to what God has been saying to you at all. And maybe that's on purpose because you're not sure you wanna be obedient. You don't want your peaceful little life disturbed in any way. You're very happy being comfortable. I always talk about that cocoon of comfort. It's so nice and warm in there. It feels so good. And I don't want anybody to mess me up. You leave me alone, big mouth pastor. I'm happy where I'm at. 
My job is to mess you up. My job is to make you think. My job is to make you look hard at the things God has called you to do that you're ignoring him on. Whatever you're wrestling with this morning, we're gonna take some time at this altar. If you can't come down to this altar, I ask you to pray for those who do, or you can, you can pray at your seat if you wanna sit down and pray. I'd like to spend a little time in prayer. Pastors will come around, we're gonna lay hands on you and pray for you as well. But I want everyone in this place to truly think of those things, and you already know what I'm talking about. There's been at least one, maybe three things that have come into your thinking this morning while we've been doing this message of things that God has clearly told you to do and you've decided to take a ship to Tarshish. And you're somewhere in the middle of that year and a half journey. And I'm telling you that journey can end today. You can get back on land and you can get back on serving the Lord and you can fulfill his promises in your life because many of those promises will only be fulfilled when you take that step of faith. Let's open this altar for prayer. God, you guys can sing. Thank you. As the deer panteth for the waters so my soul longeth after thee you alone are my heart's desire and i long to worship thee
continue to pray if you bow your heads with me please precious father we thank you as always for your word just packed full of truth and understanding and lessons that we can learn from the mistakes of other people just like us father my prayer for this message today in this series lord is help us to understand that not everything you ask us to do is pleasant and it's not easy but then neither was coming to this earth and dying on the cross and father for what you've done for us we should always be willing to be obedient to you I pray that this church would be filled with people who will always be obedient to your call that when you ask us to do something, you won't have to ask us again, but we will do it and we will do it in joy and we will do it in the power and the strength of the spirit because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit that we can do anything good in this world. Pray that we would rise up an army that would fulfill the needs within this church the positions that need to be filled in serving in different ways, that we would become a soul-winning body of believers, that when we run into individuals, a conversation would not end without telling them about your goodness or inviting them to church. And God, that when they get saved, that we would even be a part of the discipleship journey with them, that we would encourage and put our arm around them and strengthen them into maturity in Christ. That's how a church grows. That's how a church thrives. That's how a church impacts a community. And God, my desire is that this place would impact this community in such a way that everybody would know that there is a God in heaven and he loves them and he can save them and transform their lives because he did it for us. Lord, as I look at my life and I look at the lives of so many people in this building that I know, and when I hear their testimony, and we may not have been as cruel as the Ninevites, but we were ugly and we were not pretty on the outside because of the anger and the fear and the hurt that, that made us who we were. But God, you wiped all that away and you gave us joy and you gave us a purpose for living. You redeemed us of our sin. You forgave us. You created us and made us a new creation. And I thank you for that. My prayer is that we would walk in that new creation and we would make a difference for your kingdom until which time you come which I believe to be very soon. So I thank you for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the response of your people to your voice. And I ask you that we would continue to listen and we would respond and we would obedient to that which you've had us and called us to do. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for being here.